Father, what's in your hands that we place our lives and ourselves. Recognize that when we do that, when we submit everything to you, we come to realize that all we need is found in you. And that we can trust you. We can trust that your faithfulness to us will never end, that your mercies will be new every morning, and that what you have done in the past, you will do again. I pray that you will come to help us realize that very practically this morning, that your word would speak clearly to us, that your spirit would open our eyes of understanding, and that we would hear your voice. Everything that happens in the next few minutes would be about you and for you and by you. We would know you're leading. You have promised to guide us. We believe that. We trust you to do that. So do so over the next few moments as we focus ourselves on your word. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. I love singing all those songs. The problem is I love singing them a little too much, and so by the time I get up here, I'm already halfway through whatever voice I have for this morning. So, you know, this might be a 15-minute message. (laughs) I thought some people might be happy about that. The reality is I have half a bottle of Poland Spring, so I'm going to muscle through. It'll probably still be 30 or 35, so I'm sorry to have to tell you that, but... uh, All of our relationships are based on trust, aren't they? All the ones that mean anything, husband-wife relationships, uh, parent-child relationships, employee-employer relationships, relationships that we have between friends. We make promises to each other, and really the, the health of the friendship is based on how much we can trust the other person to keep their word, to to keep their promises. The strength of the relationship equals the trustworthiness of the people in it. I mean, I don't know how if you analyze your relationships like that, but I think if you did, you would find that that's true. I mean, you're trusting that your spouse is going to keep their word. You're trusting that your child is going to do what you've asked them to do. If you're a child or a teenager, you're trusting that your parents are going to fulfill their promises to care for you. If you pour out your heart to a trusted friend, to a confidant, you are are trusting that they are going to keep their promise to hold your secrets confidentially and to care for you and to pray for you in a way that is helpful. That's what you're hoping for. That's what you're trusting. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about some of the promises that God makes to us in his word. And we are seeing, really, God's trustworthiness. In fact, we're calling God the promise keeper. He never fails to follow through on his word to us. Now let's pause here for a second and just talk about who us is. I think it's important that we understand and just remind you at this point that the promises of God's word are made to his children. 
The promises of God's word are made to those who through faith and by grace have trusted Jesus Christ to forgive their sin and to cleanse their hearts and to restore their relationship with him. That's who these promises are for. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christ follower, you haven't done that. You have not, through faith and by grace, trusted Christ as your Savior. What I want you to understand is that these promises we've been talking about and this promise that we're going to talk about this morning can be yours by trusting Christ as your Savior, by establishing these relationships. What I want you to notice, what I hope you have noticed over the past several weeks, as Tim has shared some of these promises and I have shared some of these promises, is that they all flow through relationship. We have to have that relationship with God. We read the Bible and we see all of these things that God did back then, And we're tempted to think, wow, if God would do those things today, then I would trust him. I would believe him. I would follow him. I mean, mean, have you read that stuff? Some of the guys that are in uh, my guys group that meets on Wednesday afternoon, we've been making our way through parts of the Old Testament. And not too long ago, we read the book of Exodus. Do you know what God did in Exodus? Have any of you ever read Exodus? Do you know what he did in there? If you haven't, you know what he did? A million and a half Jews were escaping 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and they came to the Red Sea with the Egyptian army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them, and God miraculously pushed the waters of that sea all the way to one side, and they all walked through, it says, on dry ground. And as soon as the last Israelite set foot on the dry ground of the other side and the last Egyptian soldier stepped into the sea, God released the water and wiped the Egyptian army out and saved them. Man, if God would do that, we'd be on board, right? But here's the thing. This is not about the willingness of God to act in biblical ways. This is about our willingness to believe that he can. And the question this morning for us is do we trust the promise keeper? The question is not can God or will God keep his promise? The question is can we trust him to do it? Will we trust him to do it? This morning I want to read you three verses from a couple different passages that I hope will be helpful to you. We're going to consider this promise this morning. This is promise number, I don't know Tim, what is it? Seven? Five? Six? Seven? Okay, I hope somebody's keeping track. Apparently I'm not. Um, But this, I am sure this is the one we're doing today. So Uh, this is the promise. That the promise people will guide his children to make holy, healthy and wise decisions. That's the promise. The promise keeper will help his children make holy, healthy, and wise decisions. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is not one of the most common questions of our entire lives, what do I do now? Right? How many times do we ask that? What do I do now? What am I supposed to do in this situation? How am I supposed to respond here? What decision am I supposed to make? Well, I want you to know that the promise keeper 
will help his children to make holy decisions, healthy decisions, and wise decisions. First of all, let's look at this fact that God's word illuminates and reveals. I want to read this verse for you from Psalm 119. It's, it's verse 105. There's 176 verses in the 119th Psalm, and almost every single one of them has to do with God's word and God's truth. And this is what this one says. I bet some of you know it. Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. The fact is that God's word makes things clear for us. God's word illuminates and reveals. And what I want you to notice in this very simple verse is that there are two kinds of illumination for us. Now you could read that verse and you could say, well, he's just saying the same thing twice because he knows we're not smart enough to remember and so he repeats it twice on the same verse, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's the same thing. Well, actually, it's not the same thing. There's two different kinds of illumination here. The first word that's translated in our Bible's lamp literally means a lantern or a small light. To put it in our vernacular, you might say flashlight. Your word is a flashlight... It's a small light, it's a focused beam. Notice what it says, is a a lamp to my what? My feet. Where are your feet? (laughs) This is not a trick anatomy question. Where are your feet? Right now, let's pause for a moment. Now we do this with six-month-olds. Where's your foot? You know, and we're so proud that they've made that step, apparently you've forgotten it. Your feet right here, right? Right at the end of your legs. And when you're walking, where are your feet? Right in front of you, on the ground. Never more than probably 28 to 34 inches away. Right? David says that God's word is like a light for your feet. It's like a flashlight for your feet. If you go outside tonight after the sun goes down, when it's pitch black, and you need to make your way to the shed to get something, you take a flashlight, right? Now the flashlight is not going to shine four miles down the road, is it? It's just going to light the path right in front of you. You're going to shine it right down by your feet so that you can see where you're going, so that each step is secure. So God says, my word illuminates your feet. It's a lamp, a light for your feet. But it's also a light for your path. Now this word light, first word lamp is a small light. This word light literally means broad daylight. Think dawn. Okay? And how many of you are unfortunate enough in your life to have to get up while it's still dark? But I'm sure that some of you do. 
Maybe you get ready, maybe you get in your car, maybe you drive down the road, it's still dark, you have to have your headlights on, and then after a while, what happens? Dawn begins to break. The sun comes up over the horizon, or the world spins so we can see the sun. I don't think the sun actually moves, but that's what we say, right? The sun comes up, and then what happens? You can see everything, right? You can see everything. This is not about a flashlight anymore, so I can see a few feet in front of me. I can see everything. If it's a clear day, well, not in the Oxford Hills because everything is like this, but if you're on a flat piece of ground, you could see for miles. That's what God is saying. Here's the fact. God's word illuminates, it reveals. There's two kinds of illumination. Let's just understand a couple of things here before we go any further, okay? First of all, let's understand this, that the key to the guidance God promises is the knowledge of his word. Okay, that's the key. We've got to know that before we go any further. The rubber's really going to meet the road in a few minutes, trust me, but we need to know this before we go further. The key to the guidance God promises is the knowledge of his word. The truth of the word is the lamp. That's the light, okay? If you want the light... You need to know the Word. You need to know God's Word, the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, come see me afterwards. I've got a couple in my backpack. I will give you one. I would love for you to have one because if you want to know what God wants in your life for you in this world, you have to know the Bible. You have to read the Bible. That's where it is. That's the lamp. And there's no shortcut to that. I mean, if you come here on a regular basis... There's two kinds of people that come here on a regular basis. I was analyzing this, Tim. We, we talk a lot about what's going on in our church and what we should be doing. I've been analyzing this. There's two kinds of people that come to our church for a long time, Tim. There's the people who are reading their Bibles and say, yep, you're right, every time we mention it. And there's the other people like, man, don't these guys talk about anything else except reading their Bibles? They talk about it all the time. That's because that's where the guidance is. It's in his word. There's no shortcut. You have to know God's word if you're going to know what he wants. So that's one thing. But I also want you to understand, this is the good news, is that we have unlimited access to God's word. So the guidance, the wisdom, the truth, the knowledge, whatever you want to call it, is in God's word. And here's the good news. We have unlimited access to it. We can have as much of it as we want. It's right in front of you. I just said, if you don't have a Bible, come up. I'll give you one. i got one here. If I run out, I've got more at the office. I'll give you as many as you want. I'll give everyone here a Bible. We have unlimited access. I've probably got ten Bibles in my office. you probably got five at home. We have unlimited access. We can open it any time we want. We can read it. We can study it. My wife likes tea. I hate tea. I don't like the smell of tea. I don't like it hot. I don't like it cold. I don't like it sweet. I don't like it unsweetened. I don't like it in any which way at all. But Melody loves tea. And she is a, she is an Irish girl. Okay? And whatever part of her is not Irish is Scottish and Welsh. I mean, it's just all right there. 
And so she doesn't want your flowery tea. She doesn't want your herbal tea, your fruity tea. She wants black Irish breakfast tea, high octane, give me everything you got. That's the kind of tea she likes. So I had to learn how to make tea because I I make it for her often. And the first time I made tea for her, I don't know what in the world I'm doing. I boil the water. I get the tea bag in there. Dump it in. I'm like, well, obviously I can't leave the tea bag in there, so I take the tea bag out. Sweeten her in. Put the milk in. Stir it up. Give it to her. And I think her reaction was something like, She said, you guessed, right? Did you put the tea bag in there? I said, yeah, I put it in, but I took it out. I mean, you can't drink it with a tea bag in there. She's like, you got to leave it in there for a little while so that the tea can steep, right? So I learned, I don't mess around now. I put the tea bag right in the pot. I boil that water up, and I let it boil, and I let it sit there, and I go do something else. Then I come back, then I dump it in. The longer the tea bag sits in the water, the more of the water is infused with the flavor of the tea. When you come to church... And I stand up here, or Tim stands up here, or Tom stands up here, and we open God's Word like we're doing right now, and we we talk to you about it, and we try to teach it to you and help you to understand what it means. I think it's very important. We're commanded to do that. I love to do it. I know Tim loves to do it. It's great. But that's like dunking the teabag in and then taking it out and throwing it in the trash. You've got to get a little bit, but you need more than that. You need more time for it to infuse your heart. So this is the beginning. You've got to take this home for yourself, and you've got to read it, and you've got to study it. You've got to ask God to help you to understand it. That's why in a couple of weeks, Tom is teaching that class that is called, do you remember what it was called? Understanding the Bible. And that's what he's going to be talking about. How do we take the Bible for ourselves and open it up so we can understand it? It's so important. Well, here's the third thing I want you to understand here before we go a little bit further. Is that, like we said, there are two kinds of light. The Word helps guide us in daily life and in the long term. See, the reason why that verse is so important and, you know, one of it is the, the little small light and one is the great big light, because that's how God's Word guides us. God's Word provides us direction and guidance for the everyday things that we face. God's Word also provides us with the, some of the big picture, too. Because sometimes we're concerned about what we've got to do today, right? And sometimes we're concerned about what's going to happen next month or next year. God's Word guides us both ways, in the immediate and in the long term. 
Okay, so the fact is that God's word illuminates and reveals, but I want to talk for a minute about the act. Because here's the thing, we must make our decisions based on what God says is true. Let me read you these verses from Proverbs 3. Again, some of you may be familiar with these verses. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So here's the thing, guys, because I think this is the problem that we have a lot. I know I have this problem. We can say we know what God says, and we can say that we believe what God says, but we have to actually act on it for it to do any good. Okay? Notice what it says here in the verse. You've got to trust him with all your heart. You trust him with all your heart. You can't lean on your own understanding. In other words, you can't rely only on your own logic. You've got to acknowledge or know him. And if you do that in all of your ways, not just the ones that you feel like, he will smooth out the path. He will make it passable is really what Solomon is saying here. I don't want you to look at this and say, well, if I do those, all those things, God will make the path absolutely smooth, like walking on new pavement. Well, that's not really what the verse says. Really what Solomon is saying is he will make it passable. He will make it so that you can get through. It's not always easy. It's not always easy following God. It's not always easy doing what he says. It's not always easy following his guidance, but he will make it passable. He will make it possible for us to do what he's asked us to do. A couple of weeks ago, Tim was talking about the promise that God gives us about resisting temptation. That every temptation that we face, that God will always make a way for us to escape without sin, and to avoid it. That's what Solomon's talking about here. He will always make a way for us if we trust him with all of our hearts. The problem is that we like to cherry pick. How many people know what it means to cherry pick? We like pick out the things that we like to do and then talk about how obedient we are. Right? Nod your head if you agree or you're willing to admit that you agree. But what does God say here? We have to trust him with all of our hearts. In all of our ways, we have to acknowledge him and he will make the way passable. Not just in the ways that we want. See, we like to decide what makes sense to us and figure out what we can figure out on our own. And then we'll turn to God for the stuff that we can't figure out. But that's not how it works. That's not what God's asking us to do. God is not... By the way, if you're one of these people, I'm just going to warn you here right now. If you're one of these people that walks around and says, God says that he will help those who help themselves, that's not in the Bible, okay? So stop saying that. 
Obviously, God has given us a brain, and He wants us to use it. He doesn't want us to be foolish. But He's not telling you, He's not kicking you out of the nest and say, you figure out everything you can figure out, and then when you get to the stuff you can't figure out, come ask me and I'll help you figure that out. No, He's he's saying the exact opposite of that. I want to guide you in everything that you do, not just the things that you don't think you can figure out. See, here's the thing. Our spiritual eyesight is defective. We need help to see. Now, I'm sure at some point you have noticed that I wear glasses. I got, well, not these glasses, but I got glasses in grade six. I was 11 years old. Now, I've been fortunate most of my life because my eyesight really isn't that bad. I'm, I'm nearsighted, right, which means I can see things close up pretty well, but the further stuff. You know, I could get up in the morning and, and not have my glasses on, and I can, want, you know, I can do what I need to do. I can get up and get ready, pick out something to wear, take a shower, get my stuff together. I can do a lot of things without putting my glasses on. It's fine. What I can't see is way back there, right? Now, one of my brothers is, he's the guy that when the alarm goes off, he's like, where's the nightstand? (laughs) And find the alarm clock, and the first thing he does is put on his glasses before he moves, or he might die. (laughs) Except that he got LASIK a few years ago, and now his eyesight's perfect. But I need help. My eyesight's defective. And I don't want to tell you this because I know you all think that I'm about 28 years old. But there's not too many more months where that old calendar is going to flip over half a century. And a few years ago, I went to see Dr. Farmer. And I said, I think I need new glasses. He said, how old are you? And I said, forget when this was, but I'm going to make up a number. I said, 42. He said, (laughs) he literally did. It was an evil, maniacal laugh. Well, some doctor. Now, I love Dr. Farmer. Probably half half of you guys go to him too. I love him. I said, what's so funny? He said, (laughs) your eyes are changing, buddy. You are going to need new glasses, and you're going to need special glasses. (laughs) So I hate to tell you guys this, because you can't tell because they're super secret, but I have progressive lenses in these things, because I'm not even 42 anymore. I couldn't read my Bible, all the close-up stuff that was so easy. So now I got the close-up, and I got the middle, and I got the fire. I got all my bases covered. And that's just like us spiritually, guys. We need help. Our eyesight is defective. It's warped. It doesn't work right in spiritual things because we get all this sin inside in our human nature. And we need help. I was reading an article the other day, and a 
author by the name of John Bloom said this, caught my attention. He just very simply said, faith trusts promises over perceptions. I love that. Real faith trusts promises, what God has said over perception, over, over what I think looks like makes sense. I can't do that. If I'm going to walk with God, I can't say, well, this is what it looks like. I have to trust that what the promise keeper says is actually true. That's what faith is. So let's get intensely practical here, okay? If you're his child, the promise keeper will guide you to make holy, healthy, and wise decisions. He will help you. He has promised to guide you. So, here's what you got to do. Because this isn't mystical. This isn't ethereal. This isn't, oh, I got to just sit in a quiet room and something will rain down and hit me on the head and then I'll know. There's some practical steps that you got to take. Are you ready for them? I hope some of you have got your steel toe boots on because I'm going to do a little toe stomping here in a second, okay? I told you it was going to be practical. Here's the first thing you got to do. You've got to get to know the God. Or you've got to get to know God by getting to know Scripture. If you don't go past this section right here, then you might as well just stop listening. If you're not going to do this. You've got to get to know God by getting to know Scripture, okay? And here's the part that might sting a little. You've got to stop yapping about how busy you are and just do it, okay? You've got to just do it. If I had a buck for every time somebody said, I want to read the Bible, but I'm so busy, I would own my own Bahamian island right now, okay? Because that's what everybody says. I've said it. I'm so busy. I'm so sick of hearing people talk about how busy they are and why they can't read the Bible, why they can't get to know God. Guys. You want a real slap in the face? Whip out your iPhone, go to settings, go to general, and click on screen time. That'll wake you up in the morning. Two and a half hours. Three hours. You want to get even more real, it breaks you down because some of us actually still do use our phones for phone calls and stuff. So it'll break that down too. And it'll tell you how much time you spend on social media. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Snapchat. I'm not on any of the chats and talks and faces or any of those things. But I do like a little app called ESPN. And that even tells me how much time I spend on that. Reading articles and looking at scores and blah, blah, blah. Did you know that if you sat down and did not eat and did not sleep and did not get up to go to the bathroom, you could read the whole Bible from cover to cover in 72 hours? 
Now, I'm not suggesting you do that. I want you to eat and sleep and get up and go to the bathroom. But 72 hours of read time, that's an average reader. That's not a speed reader. That's not a college professor. That's just an average Joe. You know, you could read the whole New Testament in 19 hours. 19. You know, if you took that two and a half hour screen time for seven days, you could come back here to church next Sunday and have read the whole New Testament. Okay, maybe you're not an average reader. Double it. Take two weeks. It can be done, folks, but we just have to do it. We'll never know what God wants us to do unless we get to know him by getting to know the Scripture. Here's the second thing. Ask God for guidance. I know that sounds pretty obvious, but... Don't just sit there and wonder what it is that God wants you to do. Ask him and be specific. Don't get up in the morning and say, God, please guide me today. Get up in the morning and say, God, you know when I go to work, I have to have this difficult conversation with this person. Please give me the words to say. God, you know that my kid is driving me insane and I don't know how to handle him. Please help me to know what to say to him today. Please help me know how to discipline him today. God, I don't know how we're going to make these ends meet. I'm looking at the checkbook. I don't know. Please show me what I should do. Be specific, folks. Here's the third one. Spend time with godly people. You want to know what God wants? Spend time with godly people. You know who understands a lot about what God wants? People who are living godly lives. If you, know, if you want to know how to eat healthy, you should hang out with people that eat healthy. If you want to know how to use your money well, you should hang out with people who know, are using their money well. If you want to know how to run a successful business, hang out with people who are running successful businesses. You want to know how to live a godly life, hang out with people who are living godly lives. And they will help you. And you will learn. Here's a fourth one. And if you have had more than three conversations with me in your lifetime, I've probably said this at one point or another. Do what you know God wants you to do. Do what you know God wants you to do. You may not know everything that God wants you to do right now. I don't know everything that God wants me to do right now. But I bet you know a lot. If you know anything about God's word whatsoever, you know how to treat your spouse. You know how to do your job. You know how to raise your kids, at least in a general sense. You know that God wants you to be loving and kind and gracious and forgiving and pure. And if you aren't doing those things, don't expect God to reveal more to you. We make that mistake all the time. 
because sometimes we're not happy with that. We want more information. God, I want you to tell me more of these things. And God says, why would I give you more? You're not doing the things that I've already told you to do. Do what you know God wants you to do. And he will reveal himself. Friends, listen. You get to where God wants you to go the same way you get anywhere. One step at a time. Problem is we look at our our marriages that are struggling and we say, I want to be there. I want to have a loving marriage. I want us to help each other and forgive each other and talk kindly to each other. But we won't do what needs to be done right here. I want to be there. I want all my finances to be fixed. I want to be out of debt. But we don't want to stop spending the money right here. I want God to use me. I want him to, I want him to use me to do this and that. But we can't be kind and loving to the people that are right in front of us today. You get where God wants you to go the same way you get anywhere, one step at a time. And all of these blessings and all of this promise are released only in the context of relationship. They're not found anywhere else. A lost person does not get an answer to this prayer. I've heard many lost people say, ask God to show me, but he didn't tell me anything. We have to know the Father. We have to develop the relationship. We have to make things right with God first before we can hear his voice. And then as we develop the relationship and as we get to know him, then he continually reveals the next step. I tell the story sometimes when Gavin was young. I swear to you, he learned to walk one day and he learned to run the next day. And for four years, he didn't stop. It was hard to keep track of him because he was so fast. And as a little boy, those of you that have little boys or had little boys, maybe this is true for little girls too, but I've never had one of those. Little, girl, little boys, are just, they're into everything and they're everywhere. Gavin was never afraid of anything and never shy, so it didn't matter if we were here at church, he would still be just gone. And so we developed a little technique, he and I. Told him, Gavin, when I snap my fingers, I want you right here. That's what I'm going to do. And so I would do that first few times I did it, it didn't work. I would snap my fingers. He'd keep doing whatever he was doing, into whatever he was into. I would go get him, say, Gavin, don't do that. I want you to come here with me. After a while, we could be in a room full of 100 people, and I would do this. Gavin would go, he knew he was into something he shouldn't be. And he knew he needed to find where I was. Now, Melody tells a story that I used to do that for adults, too, to get their attention. But I I think she's making that part up. We developed this relationship 
He started to understand what I expected and what I was asking him to do. I only have to snap my fingers two or three times a day now. He's getting it. (laughs) Friends, God, your Father, wants to guide you. He wants to help you. He wants to enable you to make holy, healthy, wise decisions. We have to yield ourselves to him. I'm going to pray and ask God to guide us. Before I do that, I want you to listen to this song that Joe and Tyra are going to sing. Actually, the song is a prayer of asking God to guide us. So listen to the song, and then I'm going to pray for us. Father, we are so thankful for the promise that you will guide us. Pray that you would just give us the courage and the wisdom to make good decisions as we submit ourselves to you and to your word. Fill our hearts with your truth and your spirit. Help us understand all that you are saying so that we might honor you with our lives in this day and those that are to come. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. Hope you have a good week.